0: Will it cause you to grow spiritually? Will it, will it allow an opportunity for you to be impacted by God so that you are changed to become more like Jesus, to think his thoughts more after him, to have the heart that he had, to live the life that he lived in service and love? Honestly, ask yourself, will this Christmas season change you? Will it impact you? Will it cause you to grow spiritually? Here's what I think a lot of people would probably respond with. <clears throat> something like this. Yeah, Right. Do you have any idea how much I have to do between now and December the 25th? You know, I'm going to get a lot done, but it's pretty unlikely that a lot of spiritual growth will happen in this next month. I'm just going to be way too busy. Don't put up your hand, but I bet you I'm close. Um, Pretty close to the reality in a lot of people's lives. But today I want to suggest to you something very different can happen this year. As we take the time for God, to listen to him, to be with him, to think about the coming of Jesus to this world, I want to tell you in this season, God can teach you and God can impact you and cause you to grow, to become more like Jesus. He can transform your life, if you let him. So to that end, I'm going to be speaking for the next few Sundays about how we can respond to the Christmas story, what can flow from our lives to this story uh, that is so popular at this time of the year and so focused upon, and we are blessed to reflect upon. I'm not talking about The Grinch You Stole Christmas, right? Let's not get this confused. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, a Christmas carol with the original, you know, Grinch, Ebenezer Scrooge. And I'm not even talking about Elf, as funny as Elf is, and you might have your own Christmas story. I'm talking about the Jesus story, when angels came and told a, a young woman that through um, the the agency of god the father a child would be born in and through her who was literally fathered by god i'm talking about a census that took place in bethlehem i'm talking about no room being available at the inn and a birth in a stable or a barn i'm talking about a child laid in a manger i'm talking about the stories of shepherd and a wise man that's the story i'm talking about i want to tell you this the story by its very nature was made for impact you believe that See, the reality is a lot of us drift through and could potentially drift through another Christmas season hearing the story we've heard a hundred times before and no impact made. It's just the story that we're familiar with. It's just the story of the goodness of God and the birth of of a baby. But I want to tell you the story is made to impact your life and mine. Think of the characters, Mary and Joseph. Their lives became something that they could not have imagined because of their encounter with Jesus at Christmas. Think of the shepherds, these hardworking, laboring people who ended up, listen to me, praising God and telling everybody they could speak to about the reality of Jesus. They became witnesses to Christ, which they weren't before. It's a story of, 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 of wise men who traveled for months, if not years, in the journey of a lifetime, which changed them. See, the, the story of the birth is change-inducing i say to you today we're going to reflect in one possible response uh, to this story which grows out of the fact can i say it this way that this this story just doesn't make sense in a lot of ways i want to shake up your perception of the familiar but it doesn't make a lot of sense because it's filled with paradox let me let me give you a definition of, of, of what a paradox is um it is a person, thing, or situation, and we're talking about the thing or situation scenario in this, that, exhibits an, apparent, that exhi- exhibits an apparent contradictory nature. In other words, it's two realities, two thoughts, two truths brought together that just don't fit. I want to tell you this story is filled with paradox. Let me give you some of them. Jesus gave up his glory to be born in a stable. Now, you're used to hearing that, but think about this. Your pastor wants you to think today. Engage this in a new way. The majesty, the dignity, the power, the glory of heaven, the opulence, the wealth, everything he gave up to experience human birth. Think about it. And to be born in a stable. Humble, humble, humble. How about this one angels powerful glorious fearful messengers of god announcing the birth to whom a bunch of shepherds people who were on the bottom rung of this social ladder they were they were the lowliest of the low in this society why did the angels of heaven the angels of god come to those people why not go to caesar why not go to quirinius the governor why not go to the influencers of society the wealthy in society why go to them doesn't make sense does it Like, it really doesn't. If you want the whole world to know about Jesus. How about this one? The people of God, the children of Abraham, the Jewish people, God's people, being completely ignorant of the Messiah that they had waited so long for. And and, and as a result, completely neglecting the child in the manger of Bethlehem. While Gentiles, the wise men, People from a foreign and distant land seek him and find him and acknowledge him as God and end up worshiping him. Does that make sense? Doesn't make sense to me. It's, 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 It's dramatic, it's radical. It ought to capture our attention. How about this one? The baby Jesus, born in utter weakness and defenselessness. Think about it. Utter weakness and defenseless defenselessness yet he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords luke chapter 2 this famous description of jesus birth which i don't normally read to you until christmas day or christmas eve but i want i'm going to read it to you now and i want you to notice the progression of the powerful down that is laid out for us to see luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 in those days, Caesar Augustus, note him, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. He speaks, it happens. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. We know, by the way, there were two censuses taken in that time. Anyway, everyone uh, went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. What's the progression in terms of power? It starts with Caesar Augustus. He is the powerful uh, ruler of Rome. He is is the one who who is great and who is mighty. He has just reunited the Roman Empire, created the Pax Romana, the the peace of Rome through military conquest. He is a powerful, powerful man, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And then it it talks about Quirinius. He He is Caesar's man in Syria. He is the one Caesar has appointed to exercise the power of Rome over the people of that place. It's a dictatorship. Brutal. And then comes the person of Joseph in the sequence that we have just read. Joseph wasn't particularly a powerful person, in, and, and, and though he was a young man, he had a trade, he had standing in the society that was greater than that of Mary because women in those days had no power. And then comes Mary herself, and after Mary comes this one named Jesus. Verses 6 and 7, same chapter. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there there was no guest room available for them. Um, My friends, here is the weakest in the sequence laid in a manger. Yet I want to tell you, He was superior in strength and in power to Caesar Augustus or Quirinius or anyone else in the world. You see the paradox? It doesn't make sense. Um, Laid out for us to see, laid out for us to think about, laid out for us to be impacted by. said that night Caesar lay asleep in Rome in grandeur and in wealth. Someone has written that he was sleeping in a bed made of gold with fine linen sheets protected by the Praetorian Guard, surrounded and, and protected by legions of soldiers, while Jesus, the Son of God, slept in a feeding trough surrounded by farm animals. It's a paradox. The Son of God, the Eternal One, the one who is co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in the eternal Trinity. God the Creator, born in a cave or a barn. Doesn't make sense. And the paradox doesn't end with the nature of the story or the facts of the story. It carries on toward the outcomes. And here it starts to have some relevance, I would hope, powerful relevance to your life and mine. Jesus descended so we could ascend. Philippians chapter 2, famous passage that's read often during Advent. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And listen to this, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus came down so that we could ascend to glory. Do you know that? Jesus gave up glory and embraced humanity and humility and humiliation so that we might experience glory. Let me read Romans 8, 17, and 18 to you. Now, if we are children, God's children, then we are heirs. This is you, if you're his. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider there are present sufferings, and these people were suffering at the time, but our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you understand? Because Jesus came because he descended into humiliation that someday we will experience absolute glory because we are caught up in him. You will, and so will I. How about this one? Jesus experienced human birth so that we could experience spiritual birth. John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus went through this human birth so that we could be born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, You shouldn't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. And he said, there's birth that comes in a physical sense, but there's a birth that comes in a spiritual sense when the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, if you would, invades our lives and, and, and transforms our being and we are brought to life in, in faith and in God just because Jesus was willing to be born in Bethlehem. How about this one? Jesus became poor. Dirt Poor. You know, he was born in a stable to incredibly poor parents. And when he grew up and he entered into ministry, it says, I believe, Matthew chapter 8, that he had no place to lay his head. He was homeless. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had the glory and the power and the wealth of heaven at his disposal. Yet for you, for your sake, whose sake, your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, which is what he lived, we might become rich, so that you through his poverty might become rich. How are we rich? We are enriched with everything that God has for us, and we will be made wealthy in the resources of God for all eternity. That makes sense to you. How about this one? Jesus came to die. And that, remember, is the ultimate point and purpose of his birth. Never forget it. Gaze into the manger of Bethlehem and understand why he came ultimately. He came to die so that we could have life. So that we could live forever. John 11, 25 and 26, famous verses say this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus said, do you believe this? I want to tell you, my friends, this this should be hard for us to contemplate. The Son of God dying for us, coming to die for us, so that we, we would live for eternity with God. I want to suggest to you this morning, this Christmas story, in a lot of ways, does not make sense to the human mind. But as we see it, as as we grapple with it, as we gaze upon it, what we we encounter is a huge reversal of rules, a story in which everything costs God. Everything costs God, yet it's all for our benefit. Jesus came and gave up all so that we could have all in our lives. And there, I would suggest to you, is the biggest paradox of them all. This reversal of roles, God becoming human, God descending, God suffering, God dying, so that we might be blessed, so that our needs might be met in Him. You know what our first response to Christmas ought to be? Simply, wow. an amazing amazing thing because this is an amazing amazing god the only way the paradox is resolved is when you gaze into the heart and into the character of the living god see god had a vision and in this vision he refused to leave us alone in our sin and our suffering and our death in our guilt and in our shame god had a vision to redeem the whole world and to restore it to what he had originally created it to be a world in which sin and evil and death will be no more For suffering and injustice cease. Can you imagine such a world? A world which will submit to the rule and reign of Christ when he comes again, and and with him brings the kingdom of God in its fullness. See, this God is revealed to us in Jesus. Nowhere other than the cross do we see and understand God, His nature, His heart, His character, His mind. Nowhere other than the cross do we see the reality of God other than, uh, than in the, the cradle, the manger of Bethlehem. My friends, I want to tell you we stand back in utter amazement about God coming to redeem a world, but we stand back and we just say, wow, because we recognize that God comes in Christ also. He came and he suffered and he died for you personally and for me to restore what is broken in your life and in mine. And you know what? There's lots of that there in every single one of us. He came to to restore us, to save us from ourselves, to save us from sin, to save us from death, to save us from judgment, to make us his own, and to give us his life. My friends, I want to tell you if we can capture this essence of the Christmas story, if we can look at it with fresh eyes, if we can see how it doesn't make sense, and we can understand the coming of the, the child of Bethlehem, by definition, we will be changed. We will have our eyes open to see God as God is, and it will cause us to fall on our knees in his presence. It will cause us to worship him. Let me put it this way. I don't know why I want to use this word with you because it's not a common word and it's kind of strange, but let me say it anyway. Unless we are gobsmacked by Christmas, we are being consumed, we are simply being consumed by lesser things this season. Unless we stand back in awe, shocked by the reality of the dynamic that we are contemplating, we are being consumed in our lives and distracted by lesser things. You know, I've mentioned Advent, this centuries-old practice of the Christian Church, where, you know, for about a month prior to the the, the Christmas itself, we give ourselves to anticipating anticipating the coming of Jesus and reflecting on christ and what his coming means for us you know we can go through it and we can light candles and we can hear nice things or we can sit back and we can anticipate the coming of jesus and we can recognize who he was and what he did so much so that we just are ending up in awe particularly on that day when we celebrate his birth and then Christmas itself, so many people think of it now as a day. Actually, it's 12 days of Christmas, recognize a title in that of a song. But it's a season in the Christian church where Christians don't put away their Christmas tree uh, uh, too early on, on, on the uh, sidewalk. But they, they dwell in this season, and they celebrate the coming of Christ. And we recognize together, my salvation is here. It has come. And the hope of the world is, is here. He has come. And we worship him. We worship him. You know, in a day when worship in the Christian church has become somewhat of a casual thing where people come when they choose, as opposed to our long history of people making worship an absolute priority in their lives, I want to say to you today not only does God command worship, command it as people come into his presence and recognize him for who he is and for what he has done, he also recognizes that you and I need worship. We need it to be reminded of the awe and the amazing thing that God has done in Christ and be left with the wow factor when we consider the character and the nature of God. So can I suggest to you over these weeks that you prioritize worship and you not let the power of this culture let you be distracted by lesser things? So my friends, we we grapple with and we're awed by the nature of God, but I want to tell you too, when we recognize what God has done for us in Christ, when we are impacted to the degree that we can be impacted, when we face the reality of what God has done for us in Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but we fully and we passionately live for Jesus. That's what Christmas can do to you, if you'll let it. You see, we come to a place where his purposes become our purposes, where his passions become our passions, where his desire, the Lord Jesus' desire to remake this world and to transform this world become our desire, where his desire to see people come to faith, those who are lost, brought into the embrace of God and into relationship with God through faith and through confession of sin. That passion of Jesus becomes our passion, for Jesus' heart for the broken and the hopeless of this world becomes our passion and heart. I just noticed in our local paper, uh, in the last few days, uh, there's this march across our great land by a man who is wanting to draw attention to youth homelessness. Teenagers without a home, without a place to sleep at night. Can I ask you, what do you think God thinks of that? I think it breaks his heart. And he says to his people, not only should you work for justice and transformation in this world, not only should you work to see people come to Christ in this world, you ought to work for the the homeless. And you ought to work for those people, as Julie has described to us today, who can't afford to buy Christmas gifts for their children. And you ought to work for those people who can't put food on their table in order to feed their children and themselves. you got to have a heart like me, the Lord says. You see, my friends, I guess my point to us today is very simply this. When we grapple with and understand the radical nature of the Christmas story, our lives will be made new. We will be changed. We won't be the same anymore. Mary and Joseph, what did their life become compared to what it would have been the shepherds, the wise men? You see, this encounter with Christ produces a life that will never be the same again because of our understanding of the character of God, what it means for our world and what it means for me. So I say to you here today, will this Christmas experience change you? Or will you blow through it distracted by what I've called lesser things? Will you allow it to open your eyes to see and understand the heart of God and what it means for your life And will you let it change you? First of all, come to a place of understanding this God and what He has done for us in Christ and what the intention of this birth is all about. Stand back in awe and wonder. Stand back in wow and worship Him and serve Him with all of your heart. Let's pray. Gracious God, a story that really doesn't make sense. A story that we've read so often that it becomes so familiar that it loses its power in our lives. God, I would pray today that for us as a church, for us as a people, that this season would be a season where we look at the story and we are awed by it. Allow it to be a time, Lord, when we look at it with fresh eyes and we allow this story to change us as we recognize who you are, first of all, and as as we recognize what the coming of Jesus means for our world, but maybe most particularly for our own experience. Lord, bring us to that place where we are captured by a story, so much so that we are made new because of it. Bring us to a place of worship. Bring us to a place of impact. Bring us to a place of change that we might like Christ this season Lord God help us to grow up in faith help us to be transformed help us to become more like Jesus it's his name we pray